Good morning, I'm Christina Reimer. I was really hoping to be with you in person this morning, uh, but as Dwayne Heidi said, we are quarantining. Our son Christoph has COVID, so Zoom it is for us. Today is the fifth Sunday of Lent. Uh, we've been at it for a while now, and we look forward to Easter when we will celebrate Christ's overcoming of death, and I will celebrate Lorna Sawatsky's cooking. There's an element of waiting in Lent, but it's not a passive form of waiting. During Lent, we prepare for the resurrection by purifying ourselves through prayer, perhaps through sacrifice, perhaps through repentance, and through good works. Our scripture passages today are all about the faithfulness of Abraham and Sarah as they wait for a promised child. When Abram is 75 years old, God promises him that he and his wife Sarai will be the parents of a great nation. But 14 years pass and Sarai has yet to become pregnant. At this point, Abram is 99 years old and Sarai is 90. Abram already has one son named Ishmael, born to his wife's slave, Hagar, although Islam acknowledges Hagar as Abram's second wife. But Abram and Sarai still do not have children together despite God's promise. They continue to wait and eventually God gives them new names, Abraham and Sarah, and they finally become the ancestral roots of a giant family tree. Like Abraham who lived to be 175 years old in Bible years, uh, trees can live very long lives. One of California's great basin bristlecone pines, which is aptly named Methuselah, is just shy of 5,000 years old. Trees are some of the oldest living organisms on earth. Next to people, trees are mentioned in the Bible more than any other living thing. They are symbols of wisdom and knowledge, and they mark the spot where revelations from God have taken place. Abraham himself built an, an altar to honor his covenant with God under the oak tree of Mamre. Legend has it that this tree is located in Hebron on the grounds of the Russian Orthodox Monastery of the Holy Trinity. Sadly, the tree fell in 2019, which to some was a doomsday sign announcing the imminent end of the world. Quite timely that this happened in 2019 before life as we know it turned upside down. But something wondrous has happened. Fresh shoots have been found to be growing out of the dead tree, a sign of resurrection amidst death. The book of Isaiah also talks about trees. Isaiah uses a forest as a symbol to teach us about the resilience of God's people and the eternal nature of God's covenant with them. Chapter 10 outlines how God will use the invading Assyrians to punish Israel for its sins but that eventually Assyria will be defeated. The last two verses of Isaiah chapter 10 read, the Lord of hosts will lop the boughs with terrifying power. The tallest trees will be cut down and the lofty will be brought low. God will hack down the thickets of the forest with an ax and Lebanon with its majestic trees will fall. But this is not the end of the story. 
Isaiah chapter 11 begins with, a shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Isaiah uses tree imagery to announce the coming of a new king who is like a shoot sprouting from a decimated forest. And the verses that follow describe how the reign of this new king will bring peace throughout all of nature. One of my favorite tree spots is Silver Lake Mennonite Camp. I love the mystical stillness of what is called the Enchanted Forest. And I've enjoyed walking the other forest paths, especially at night without a flashlight. It is the only place in the world that I've ever felt completely safe walking alone at night as a woman. When I was 17 years old, I had a personal crisis while I was working at camp. During supper in the dining hall one night, I was feeling kind of emotional, so I walked outside where I could be alone. I sat at the edge of the field along the tree line out of sight. I closed my eyes and prayed to God for comfort and guidance. As I prayed, a hand started to gently stroke my hair and I felt a deep sense of peace wash over me. I sat there for a long time with my eyes closed, just feeling God's presence. After a while, I opened my eyes and I looked up and the branches of a large pine tree were blowing in the wind. One of the branches had been brushing against my head. Some might say that the realization that it was only a tree constitutes a scientific debunking of what I thought was a spiritual experience, an alternative explanation for what I perceived to be God's presence. But for me, it was one of the most profound experiences of my life. Can you imagine that at that precise moment when I needed God most, a branch happened to move gently across my head? To me, this felt like a miracle, a sign of God's presence acting through nature. As the current chair of the board of Silver Lake Mennonite Camp, take this as a shameless plug for the camp. Spiritual experiences guaranteed. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder if my intense draw to the woods is due to my family's ancestry, which most likely goes back to the pagans of Northern Germany, if my ancestry DNA results are anything to go by. The early Germanic Saxons thought that temples were inappropriate homes for the gods believing instead that the divine lived in trees and sacred groves. These pre-Christian Germans considered it an act of impiety to cut down trees as this would offend the gods and spirits of the forest. I won't go into the gruesome consequences that befell anyone who desecrated a tree. The spread of Christianity fundamentally changed the old ways of the Saxons. Charlemagne, King of the Franks and the eventual Holy Roman Emperor launched a 32 year war against the Saxons at the end of the eighth century in order to consolidate his kingdom. But despite his best efforts, the Saxons stubbornly resisted Christianization. 
Finally, Charlemagne devised a brilliantly heinous plan and cut down their most sacred oak tree called the Ermenzol. When these tree worshippers realized that no ill consequences came to the perpetrators of this act, many finally accepted baptism. And while certain folk beliefs about the power of trees continued, the forest became essentially disenchanted because of Christianization. The course of European history changed when the Saxons came to believe that their new God had given humankind dominion over the earth. The newly Christianized Saxons were now free to make use of the rivers and forests without fear of committing sacrilege. They allowed their animals to graze where trees were cleared and they destroyed forests to make room for agriculture. It's been a truly Lenten experience for me to reflect on the historical connection of Christianization with the devastation of our forests in the West. But trees are not so easily defeated. We all know this if we are familiar with the Ents, the giant tree folk in the Lord of the Rings who rise up against the powers of industrial destruction. I recently watched the documentary, uh, What Trees Talk About from CBC's The Nature of Things hosted by David Suzuki. I found out that the jack pine and spruce can be chopped down, but the roots will remain alive because of the nourishment they receive from the trees around them. The individual tree can appear dead, like the oak of Abraham or the stump of Jesse. But in actuality, its life continues below the ground because it is part of a complex network of interconnected roots. When a tree is weak and damaged, its community cares for it and nurses it back to health. But what we do to one tree affects the whole forest. If trees are clear cut or thinned out too much, it can be detrimental to the whole forest because of the pressure this puts on the remaining trees to pull the weight for everyone. It's like they're experiencing compassion fatigue. I also learned about the rejuvenation of aspen trees. Quebec biologist Annie Desrochers has done extensive research on the aspen trees of Canada's boreal forest, a forest that stretches from Yukon to Newfoundland, Labrador, covering more than half of our nation's landmass. She and her team used high pressure water hoses to expose the root system of the aspen, to uncover how trees that appear to be individual trees above ground actually form an underground community. As Desrochers' team uncovered the aspen's root system, they found that baby trees were attached to the root system of their parents. But aspens don't just connect to their parent roots like an isolated biological nuclear family. Aspens also connect to strangers they come into contact with, grafting together and forming wood that is common to both trees. So why do aspen trees do this? Desrochers had a theory that the two trees were connecting to help each other out. So she did a little experiment. She found two connected aspens and stripped the leaves off of one of them. Within weeks, the defoliated tree got back all of its leaves because its neighbor compensated for this loss by extra activating its own process of photosynthesis in order to feed its friend. 
But how do unrelated tree species interact with one another? Do trees only take care of their own species? No. Ecologist Suzanne Simard researches the interac interactions between birch, a deciduous species, and fir, a coniferous species. She found that when these two unrelated species come into proximity with one another, they form cooperative relationships based on mutuality. Simard says, the more the Douglas fir became shaded in the summertime, the more excess carbon the birch had went to the fir. Then later in the fall, when the birch was losing its leaves and the fir had excess carbon because it was still photosynthesizing, the net transfer of this exchange went back to the birch. Trees are an expansive and inclusive community of interrelated subjects who share resources just beyond, uh, beyond just taking care of their own. What a beautiful metaphor for the church. In order to be God's people, we don't have to prove that we are somehow the genetic offspring of Abraham, but a community of trees from different species, providing nourishment for those who lack it and receiving nourishment when our own resources are depleted. I mentioned my involvement with the board of Silver Lake Mennonite Camp earlier. It was my privilege to serve with a woman named Wendy Jansen, who recently transferred, uh, who, sorry, who recently finished her term as a board member. She was a pastor at St. Jacob's Mennonite Church for many years before becoming the founder and pastor of Burning Bush Forest Church. This church started as an option for people who are searching for a divine connection to nature. Burning Bush Forest Church is a member of a group of churches called Wild Church Network. Like the German Saxons, they do not worship in temples, but outside in a way that connects them not only with one another, but with the natural world. They believe that we are not humans interacting with nature, but that all of nature, including human beings, are interbeings within God's creation. I hope to worship with them in the woods someday soon. These days, our trees appear dead. The sugar maple on our front yard, only a few years old, has three dead leaves clinging absurdly to its branches. But soon, so soon, the trees will remind us of their vitality and their immortal capacity for resurrection. Let us have the patience and faithfulness of Abraham and Sarah as we wait for these signs of life that are sure to come. Let us also consider all of the community happening below the surface, connecting us all to one another the way the jack pine, the spruce, the aspen, the birch, and the fir are connected. Thank you, God, for the wisdom and beauty of your creation and for all it teaches us. Amen. <laughs>